This week's Pharmacy Magazine Talking Pharmacy podcast is brought to you by Aronix, Sildenafil 50mg from Dr. Reddy's. Hello everyone, welcome to the latest episode of the Talking Pharmacy podcast. My name is Richard Thomas, editor of Pharmacy Magazine, and what a week it's been, exciting, dramatic, euphoric, dodgy decision-making, a sense of the nation coming together and dreaming of better days to come. But that's enough about the NPA conference. Join me on the pod this week to discuss what else has been happening in pharmacy. Are Rob Darricott, editor of P3 Pharmacy, Arthur Walsh, editor of Pharmacy Network News, and Neil Trainis, editor of Independent Community Pharmacist. Helena Beer is hard at work putting the latest issue of Training Matters to bed. Later in the pod, I talk to Janice Perkins about the Community Pharmacy Patient Safety Group Conference, which was held last week. But let's start with Good Week, Bad Week. The voices of the panel's English contingent may be a bit croaky this morning. We're recording this the morning after the night before. So let's come to you first, uh, Neil and Rob. Neil, a good week or a bad week? And who are you going to go for? Yeah, morning, Richard. Yeah, it's uh, some night last night, as you, you mentioned, and uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm in good form, surprisingly enough. Well, what, what, the night before. what happened last uh, night, Neil? Um, there, was a, there was a game last night, apparently, and all right, okay. lots of England fans uh, jumping on lampposts and standing on buses chanting. I don't know what that was all about, no idea. Um, but uh, I've gone for uh, a good week for Thorin Govind, uh, who's the chair of the English Pharmacy Board, as you know. Um, and, you know, it's been a good week for her um, because she stepped into the chair seat with um, great confidence. Um, we shouldn't be surprised by this. I'm not surprised by this. Um, we all know Thorin. She's a very confident uh, speaker. She's spoken on pharmacy issues for quite a few years now on radio and, tele- and TV. Uh, we've spoken with great authority. Um, and the chair's role seems to be a very natural fit for her. Uh, and I'm sure I'm sure we'd probably all agree that the English Pharmacy Board is going to be in very good hands under her under her. Uh, direction uh, when she's in the role but a good week for her because she's spoken out on two issues in particular important issues um, and calling out the government in the process Uh, the first issue that she spoke out on was criticizing the government for its plans to raise the the age of freeze prescriptions uh, from 60 to 66 and warning that such a move will lead to greater uh, health inequalities and she's absolutely right Um, now uh, this is um, a result of the government's, uh, no doubt this is due to the government trying to find any way it can to sort of claw back some money uh, in the coming years to, because, it's huge out, because of its huge outlay during the pandemic. Uh, and any way they can get some revenue back, squeeze some revenue back, they'll, they'll, they'll do it. So, you know, there's no surprise here. Um, but it's short-sighted. Um, it's totally short-sighted and it, it could have terrible consequences for people in, in that, you know, within that age bracket. Um and uh, Thorin um, has, as Sandra Gidley did uh, on numerous occasions when she was uh, uh, president and, and uh, chair of the EPB, uh, she actually called out called for an overhaul of the prescription charges um, system. Period in England to, to follow um, England uh, to follow Scotland, Northern Ireland, and Wales. Um, but making people from the age of sixty to 66, 66 pay for their prescriptions could actually end up increasing the pressure on the NHS uh, if those people. As a result, stop taking their their medicines. So, uh, you know, full credits to Thorin. She's absolutely right, and, and I, I certainly back what she's saying one hundred percent. And the other issue, of course, that she's uh, spoken about um, this week is uh, mask wearing, um, because as we know, after July the nineteenth, 
the restrictions will be uh, overhauled and, and people will be down to people's personal choice as to whether they want to wear a mask or not. They won't be legally obliged to do so. And she's called on the government to continue making it compulsory um, after July the 19th. And it's absolutely right. And she's absolutely right. Uh, the virus has not gone away. Um, despite the vaccine rollout, which is, uh, as, as we all know, has been a, a tremendous success. Um, it's just sensible, isn't it? Just to get people to continue wearing masks, in, particularly in pharmacies, not only pharmacies, but, you know, we're, we're concerned with pharmacies. So I, I wholeheartedly support her, her call in that. Uh, people should be wearing masks after July the 19th when they go into a pharmacy. Unfortunately, um, we could end up with a scenario here where somebody could go into a pharmacy not wearing a mask. And if somebody from the pharmacy team you know, tells them to please put a mask on, otherwise we won't serve you, or, you know, can you can you please do that? That person, justifiably, may reply, well, the law doesn't say I have to, I don't really have to. And, and I'm afraid you could end up with a scenario where there could be a bit of friction, there could be unpleasant exchanges, it could be even end up something worse. You know, we've seen pharmacies suffer aggression and violence in the, uh, violent uh, incidents in the past. This this is only, in my view, only going to fuel that potentially, I think. It, the government's really put pharmacy in a potentially very difficult position here. Um, and it's a really tough one. But I'm, 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 I'm all for um, mask wearing in pharmacies. And, and, and Thorin is absolutely right in saying that. The NPA, just by the way, on the mask wearing issue, um, not quite as, assert, as assertive as, as Thorin. Um, they didn't go the whole hog and say that masks should be worn in pharmacy. But they said a certain level of caution was needed and that it would talk to its members as to how they can support them in that, as that sort of moves moves forward, but uh, yeah, for me, it's been a it's been a very good, confident start to, to her uh, her uh, um, you know role as chair. Thorin Govind for me, good week. Yeah, Thorin has made a very impressive start. You're right, Neil. She's been very visible, um, and she and you make very good points about the mask issue. I mean, reluctant mask wearers already cause enough problems for pharmacy teams, and you're right, Neil. It's a real point of potential conflict really that, that can only get worse when when mask wearing is no longer compulsory most important thing here surely is ensuring the the, the safety of pharmacy teams and the public you know, we're on a knife edge anyway with infection rates rocketing and the last thing we need is is for pharmacies closing because of illness or, or, or self-isolating so so surely it, it's common sense to to keep wearing masks in in healthcare settings and the government should say so uh, Rob, what did what did you think about this mask debate that's uh, that's beginning at the moment? Uh, yeah, morning, Richard. Thanks. Um, yeah, I'm going to come back. I'll come back to that. But I, I think um, uh, Neil makes a really good point. First off, about um, about the the prescription charges issue. Uh, I mean, everybody knows that the, the existing system is is completely outdated. I mean, the exemption list was drawn up in the late sixties, for goodness' sake. Uh, you know, more than more than fifty years ago. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think uh, important point there. Yeah, I wanted to talk about these latest proposals. Um, wildly trailed to the press, talked up by all sorts that masks are going to be a personal choice. Uh, and you did just say the word common sense, Richard. And of course, the government's saying it's going to be left to the common sense of the British people, which always seems to me to be a bit of shorthand for the politicians get out when we don't actually know what to do. So we'll blame you all afterwards. Uh, so the common sense of the British people, whether they people wear a mask or not and when. Um, now, it seems to me, and I think we talked about it before, the absence of people with any kind of service industry background within government 
on all sides, uh, but particularly in this cabinet of hedge fund managers, lawyers and spin merchants, look them up. Um, when they had a job outside politics at all, um, is writ large in this proposal. Um, and when you add to that, as Neil's just mentioned, really, the course in the public discourse that we've seen over the past decade or so seems to be getting worse. Then for all of our colleagues in, in community pharmacy, the next few months could be really very difficult. So fair play to those organisations who've, who've uh, raised the issue directly in public. Um, and I, you know, this comes on the back of three, two, three days ago, I think, the British Retail Consortium was calling on the Prime Minister to take action against violence and abuse aimed at shop staff with an open letter from the likes of Tesco, Sainsbury's, I think Ikea were in there. Um, anyway, big, big, um, big groups calling for greater legal protection for uh, for workers. Um, uh, the co-ops reported a fourfold rise in violent crime between 2014 and 2020. And as we've said often enough, and Neil just highlighted, things have become even worse during the pandemic. Uh, one of the signatures to that letter was Seb James, who signed the letter on behalf of Boots, and he certainly reflected the concerns about violence and aggression towards staff on the BBC. He talked about it being a big problem, getting worse, quoting uh, death threats, uh, uh, boot staff getting pushed into shelving, shoplifters reacting in a way which is neither normal or in any way acceptable, and also saying that Boots has recently rolled out body cams to all um, shop floor workers. Um, so, I mean, these are re really quite extreme measures, aren't they? Uh, the government's response is to say it's increasing sentences for assault. I think we've got a massive backlog in the courts right now, so good luck with that. Um but I'm, I'm not sure that's enough. Uh, and as the public is being divided yet again um, in this mask issue, which appears to be yet another front in the culture war being stoked up um, over mask wearing, uh, community pharmacy staff are going to be in the front line again, as has uh, sort of been pointed out. Um, I agree with uh, the PDA uh, comment on this. Uh, it's a forlorn hope, I suspect that the way community pharmacies are increasingly seen as a fundamental part of the health and care system may help to some degree, but it feels to me to be an abdication of any kind of responsibility at all at the very highest level, just to say it's up to individuals, it's up to employers and employees, um, and especially difficult in those places where employers, employees and those same individuals are being encouraged to use their common sense come into very close contact on a day-to-day -day basis. So I just say, you know, if this government is serious about building back better, that's yet another of those three-word slogans that we've come to know and love over the last three or four years, then surely that's got to mean a better conversation all round and more than warm words about how people relate to each other. Yes, uh, very good points, Rob. Very good points, Difficult few weeks ahead, um, I think, for pharmacy, um, for the reasons you say. Arthur, what was your take on all of this? Yeah, I just say I like Rob's point about it being another sort of point in the, the culture wars. I think uh, the government hope it would be a good bit of spin for them to have, you know, just absolute freedom for everyone from July 19th. But I think it does seem to be coming at the cost of any sense of pragmatism. I don't I don't see why. Um, you know, obviously you can ease a lot more of the restrictions from the middle of July. I don't see why some of these uh, very, I would say these measures that don't really interfere with our lives so much couldn't be phased out a little bit 
longer over, over a period of a, of a few more months. I mean, it seems to be the policy now to just let COVID circulate as aggressively as possible among a you know mostly vaccinated population, which you know there's inherent risks to that, and we'll we'll see how it plays out. Neil, um, you wanted to come back in on this. Yeah, it also just struck me just briefly, really, that you know this is such an important issue, but it's just disappointing that there hasn't really been that concerted effort from the pharmacy industry to sort of you know whether the government listens to pharmacy or not on this who knows probably not but you know the rps and rob mentioned the pda but you know you have one or two bodies sort of really sort of saying well hang on a minute you know let's let's be sensible about this and let's let's not just leave pharmacies out twisting in the wind again over this issue like they were in the i know know the vaccine rollout's been a success but still let's be sensible about this but you know to be honest with you, the NPA was slightly disappointing for me because I, I didn't feel that they really, you know, firmly put a point forward about let's let's protect, protect pharmacies, get people coming in wearing masks. Let's let's make this a, a rule still, you know, a, a certain level of caution for me. I, I could have been a bit more, a bit more oomph behind that. And PSNC as well, you know, if more bodies just sort of had more of a, a firmer say on this. At the moment, it just seems one or two bodies, government won't take any notice of this probably, but it just would have helped. Maybe it would have helped if a few more pharmacy bodies had actually just sort of gone in with a bit more, a bit, a bit stronger on this. And I don't think that's been the case so far. I think that's a really good point, Neil. It seems to me that isn't this a classic case of where a cross-sector, clear, unambiguous statement about how professional organisations across the board support their pharmacy colleagues in whichever sector of practice they're, they're operating uh, in 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 their choices around uh, enforcing or requiring or whatever the word is, as uh, some degree of um, continuing compliance, if you like, with 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 that, if that's what people do. I mean, I, th- I think ultimately businesses may, well, they're going to be asked to make their own decisions about this. But something that actually brought the whole sector together and and put out a very clear statement about support for individuals um, who are going to be on the other end of the of, of the choices being made by members of the public would be would be really useful here wouldn't it last week the cross-sector community pharmacy patient safety group held a conference which discussed how openness compassion and simple ideas can transform patient safety in community pharmacy and speakers included Mike Ling, MBE, who's a former RAF pilot and Red Arrow pilot. It was a really interesting programme, and the conference was hosted by Janice Perkins, who recently stepped down as superintendent pharmacist at Well Pharmacy after 20 years. Janice is chair of the group, so on Tuesday we sat down over a virtual cup of coffee, and I asked her to tell me more about what the group does and to highlight some key themes from the conference, including what the Red Arrows can teach pharmacy about patient safety. Um, So I know that some of the listeners won't be aware of the Community Pharmacy Patient Safety Group, um, but just to give you a little bit of background, we started um, at the end of 2014, and we're actually a group of people who are very passionate about patient safety, uh, but we're also the Medication Safety Office 
officers for the largest multiple organisation. So anybody who is a company that has over 50 pharmacies um, has the opportunity to appoint a medication safety officer and they can be part of the of the group. We were actually mandated to be medication safety officers by NHS England who had issued an alert around that time. Uh, but what was important to us was to say actually just assuming an alert doesn't really make a huge difference. So we wanted to meet and get together and share knowledge and and expertise. So we've got the the 19 largest organisations, but we've also got the MPA, Newmark, AIM and Pharmacy to You. So we all meet collectively. We meet every month for an afternoon um, and we talk about anything that can make a difference to patient safety. Um, Obviously, dispensing errors can form quite a big part of that. However, I think it's important that we focus on patient safety being wider than just dispensing errors. So we think about the person behind the prescription, but also the person behind the service, the OTC sale or the advice, because pharmacy is much more than about dispensing. And we need to remember that in terms of patient patient safety. So the conference was an opportunity really for us to share what we've been thinking about and what we've been doing, but also to try and bring a different perspective to patient safety. And we wanted it to be a conference where when people went away, they thought I could do something with that information. I could build that into my practice because actually if you're not going to make a difference and use the information you get, then it becomes a bit a bit pointless one of our principles is about reporting, learning, sharing, acting and reviewing, and that underpins everything we do. And we frequently say there's no point in just reporting an incident. Reporting it per se doesn't make any difference. It doesn't really improve safety. It's what you do with that information. So that was the concept behind having a conference that says, let's try and get pharmacists to think a little bit different and broader, more broadly about patient safety. Let's give them some food for thought with some people outside of pharmacy also talking about pharmacy because pharmacists like nothing better than to be talking to other pharmacists, but it's great to learn from other sectors. Um, And let's just see if we can get people to think a little differently and go and make small changes to their practice. And that's really, you know, where this came from. So what about the, the red arrows then? How can pharmacists learn from the red arrows about patient safety? An intriguing title. Well, it certainly is. Uh, Mike Ling is a former Red Arrow um, and has been involved in the in the RAF. And really, um, there's lots of analogies between aviation and patient patient safety. And the bit that he focused on in his um, presentation, and you'll be able to watch the recording on our, our website, was around the importance of high performance teams, about trust, and also about the importance of having a just a just culture. Um, he showed a fabulous video and then he talked through how complacency can sometimes slip into what you do and you could see the analogy maybe to that in community pharmacy or any aspect of pharmacy really we are sometimes doing very similar things so he focused on how that continual improvement constantly reviewing what you've done um, and you'll see in the in the video that he showed some pictures of where they'd taken a 
they review a video of every display that they do in the red arrows and then they analyze it and see what could have been done differently and um, was there anything that could potentially have caused an issue in the in the future so a bit like a near missing community pharmacy so the analogy is between discussing and reviewing when something goes wrong learning from that looking at what might be a warning indicator for future and he gave a very powerful analogy where he actually had a had a crash and actually when the investigated it just some sloppy things had, had come into practice that had then ultimately resulted in something going going wrong so it reminded me of the benefit of us having patient safety huddles the importance of near misreporting and actually how it's a team it's a team effort patient safety is a team effort not only within the pharmacy but also between the pharmacy team and other healthcare professionals so there was a huge number of analogies that he drew out and a really exciting video for anybody who has to want, wants to have a watch because we all love seeing the red arrows flying in in sequence with all the colored air coming and smoke coming out of the planes it's um, really quite quite thrilling so that was Janice Perkins there. The Community Pharmacy Patient Safety Conference is available to view on demand at patientsafety.org and it's well worth checking out. And we'll be releasing the full interview with Janice as part of our In Conversation with podcast series next week. So look out for that. OK, let's move on. Arthur, good week or a bad week and for whom? Bad week for uh, Sebastian Richard Edward Cuthbert. Cuthbert James, or wow. uh, or Seb James, as, as, as he's known. He's uh, the managing director of Booty UK in Ireland. Um, he went on BBC Breakfast earlier this week and must be wishing he hadn't after comments he made about um, primary care and GPs during the pandemic. He sort of, he meant simply to sing the praises of Boot staff um, and sort of thank them for stepping forward during the pandemic. But in doing so, he mentioned that, uh, in his view, primary care had more or less disappeared during those early months of the pandemic, which is um, obviously quite controversial for people working in primary care. And it prompted a swift backlash from GPs and social media. Um, there were some uh, tweets of GPs threatening to boycott Boots pharmacies uh, when it came to um prescriptions nominating prescriptions uh the bma got involved said uh seb james comments were unfair and undermined the work of all primary care workers uh though there was an apology from boots and from from mr james who, who said quote i was referring to the fact that many locations had no choice but to close during the pandemic and in those situations we were happy to step in and help uh, please forgive me Forgive me if I chose the wrong words in the moment to, to describe this and he didn't mean to diminish the role of GPs. Um, so, yeah, so he sort of spoke a little bit rashly, perhaps, and I think it was silly of him to, to go there in a national breakfast pro program was only going to backfire. But um, I, I wonder what you guys, you guys think, cause, because I suspect many of our readers won't find the basic premise of what he said that controversial. Uh, no one is claiming that at any point in the pandemic, GPs were twiddling their thumbs. Uh, but it simply is the case that they went to remote triage um, while pharmacies didn't have that option. And you know that um, played a part in the, the huge footfall in pharmacies in sort of March, April and into May a little bit last year. And a lot of that, as our uh, survey last year found out, a lot of that did involve patient queries that would have been more appropriately addressed in general practice, but because people didn't feel they could get through to their GPs, they, w they went to the pharmacy. Um, our uh, anonymous columnist, Alexander Humphreys, uh, the other month, he accused GPs of trying to rewrite history on this point. 
and uh, and 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 their role in, in in that early part of the pandemic, and um, and some pharmacists uh, I saw on Twitter, you know, quite measured, sort of not like slating GPs at all, but um, feeling that just just you know reporting that their their, their workload did increase as a result of 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 the remote triaging policy. Um, a guy in Wales, Gary Evan, he said. Um, it, quote, I'm not disputing the fact that all of primary care were working to maximum capacity, and I don't agree now with Seb's comments, but certainly at the time it felt that primary care had disappeared, uh, end quote. So I think, yeah, he, Seb James obviously spoke at a turn, but I think a bit of, um, uh, uh, I think it, a measured response, I, I, th- I think some of the, the, some of the response to his comments was a little bit overblown. Yes, Arthur, Seb James, he got absolutely slammed for those comments, didn't he? But do you know what? And you're, you're right, Arthur. I reckon a lot of pharmacists agreed with him, especially at the time. Yes, primary care, I mean, it didn't close, but a hell of a lot of patients turned up at, at pharmacy doors because there was nowhere else to go. And like you say, Arthur, that move to, to telephone triage by GPs caused uh, a lot of problems for the sector as demand surged. And, and access to GPs is still a, a problem, by the way. Don't, don't pretend it's not. Um, that column, uh, Alexander Humphreys' column, got a, got a huge post bag in response from aggrieved pharmacists, all in support. But, you know, we need to be careful about over-egging the pudding here, both sides of the argument, because, you know, there has to be better understanding and collaboration between the professions, doesn't there? We all need to work harder at that. I noticed there was a very nasty comment piece in Pulse, uh, published yesterday, I think, Wednesday, which got a, a fair bit of attention. But yes, Arthur, it was a, a bad week at a, at a grovelling apology from Seb James at Boots. He won't be going on breakfast TV for a little while, uh, I don't think. Rob, what did you make of the furore? Well, it's a, it's a classic, isn't it, Richard, of, of the difference between reality and perception. And as you, as you rightly said, we've all um, reflected on, um, on personal uh, comments um, from... Or, or personal views of pharmacists in their experience was that yes, while while general practice was rapidly transforming to a, a different model of care, the perception amongst many people coming into pharmacies was that um, they couldn't get an appointment, and therefore uh, general practice was was not open. Um, so I, I guess it's a lesson for all of us really that uh, when you've got those two. Two things working against each other. Language is really important, and you need to be very careful what you say. And I, I think uh, just a, a final point, really, that perception of what is and isn't available um, seems to now be turning into a concern. I saw something I think from the uh, NHS Confederation yesterday about um, claims that the NHS is currently experiencing a kind of winter pressures moment in the middle of summer. Because um, as the as the sort of taps get released and people start thinking about seeking appointments now, their perception of what is and isn't available um, in in primary care means in some some areas very very long queues at A and E, which given everything that we've been talking about over the last few years about the role of community pharmacies part of the urgent care system, just seems to be making um, some of those new service offers. And the public um, promotion of them to be, you know, more and more and more important. Indeed, Rob, 
Indeed. Um, okay, so I'm, I'll go next and I will, um, well, maybe try and raise the mood a bit because I'm going to go for Good Week uh, once again for uh, for Pharmacy in Wales and two reasons why. Um, we carried a story uh, that Neil put together on Pharmacy Network News this week about pharmacists prescribing in community pharmacy in Wales. It's going really well. 16,000 consultations so far and really taking pressure off other parts of the health system. The Welsh Government, of course, wants every community pharmacy in Wales to have a, a pharmacist independent prescriber by 2030. I think uh, from memory, just over 30 community pharmacies in Wales are providing independent prescribing services at the moment. So that figure is is set to grow rapidly, which is great. Uh, and the RPS in England in the wake of this news also called for greater use of pharmacist independent prescribers. And the other really bit of positive news, this is from a couple of weeks back, I admit, um, is that the Welsh Government and the NHS are piloting models for funded protected learning time for community pharmacists and pharmacy technicians in Wales. And I really welcome this. I think it's a it's a really significant move. I feel passionately about it. We've run campaigns in the past calling for protected learning time in the workplace, funded, so that, that pharmacists don't have to learn at home. Indeed, I remember having a conversation with a, a very senior person at PSNC at the time. This, this was a previous regime, uh, trying to get them to support one of our campaigns. It was told very clearly uh, and put in my place that learning and professional development was for individuals. It isn't a contractual matter. Well, I, I don't agree. I think protected learning time is absolutely vital if pharmacy professionals are to develop their clinical skills and and it encourages teamwork and better collaboration and, and things like that as well. Other health professionals have this time. Why not pharmacy? And community pharmacy is so busy, it's so hard to find the time in the workplace to do this work. So uh, to do this learning, devote time to learning. So well done to WCPPE and Health Education and Improvement Wales. Uh, really good move. The RPS has, has jumped in again, um, following the ball a bit at the moment, uh, to say that the pilots should be uh, GB-wide, but of course they're right, uh, they should. So uh, good week for Welsh Pharmacy. So we have time this week for a quick any other business. Arthur, do you have something for us? Uh, well, I saw a remarkable tweet from uh, Right Said Fred. You might remember from uh, I'm Too Sexy, the <laughs> sort of early <laughs> early 90s hit. Um, they, they're big on their anti-lockdown, uh, anti-masks and so on. And with all this talk of masks this week, um, they tweeted, uh, thanks to everyone who's still wearing a mask. It saves me a great deal of time. Tells me I don't need to talk to you, know you, work with you or try to understand your mumblings. I mean, I've, I'm, I'm sort of happy not, not to work with, with oh, Mr. Mister Wright said Fred. So it, I just thought it was a, a funny intervention on, on, on his part. Do you mean Wright said Fred? So, wrong said Fred, seems to me. That's, uh, that's crazy. Um, madness. Rob, what have you got then? Well, Richard, uh, a little thing popped into my inbox this morning. And I, uh, I, was, I thought, hey, there's a season for something. And the season is... PR tie-ups to the Euros. Okay. So uh, the one I've got is from uh, a mattress company, uh, Otty, O-double-T-Y, who have teamed up with a sleep expert, an MD of psychiatry and sleep medicine, to reveal how the Euros could contribute to sleep deprivation. And it includes such amazing insights as 
During an England match, Brits are expected to have a few drinks. <laughs> no, really? Um, during an England match, which is on the telly, football fans will be glued to their screens. No, really? Um, there's more. Um, during a football match, uh, Britons will experience, well, I think England fans might experience match anxiety. Uh, especially before an important England game. Uh, right, okay. And then finally, uh, given that obviously uh, watching football is only a male thing, um, relationship strain is the fourth potential issue that might come out of the Euros. 34% of couples have admitted to arguing over a game. So it's certainly conceivable the pressures associated with the Euros could add extra tension to relationship. And needless to say, there is some great advice about how you uh, re resolve all of those things. Uh, so drink two pints of water before you go to bed, um, switch your phone off, uh, you know, whatever. Um, try drinking chamomile tea is the response to the anxiety issue and always resolve relationship issues before you head to bed. So I think given that um, the, the Euros have not yet finished, and should should something happen on Sunday that might make um, people very happy around and about the land, uh, perhaps we should um, perhaps we should look out for next next week on the most tenuous link we can possibly find in PR terms to the Euros, and maybe it's also something that um, that our listeners might like to look out for as well. You know, if if they spot things where uh, businesses or or newspapers locally or whatever make a really really tenuous link to the euros as a reason to read an article and therefore receive a bit of promotional um advice on 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 the on the, their particular product or service oh that's excellent yes listeners please send in your your tenuous links and uh, anything you come across and we'll we'll read them out next week you're right rob i think our inboxes uh will be full next week of these uh, these PR releases. So, yeah, we'll uh, we'll read out the best that come in. Uh, and I think we'd better close it there for another week. Uh, my thanks to Rob and Neil and Arthur, and not forgetting our podcast sponsor, RNX from Dr. Reddy's. The Talking Pharmacy podcast is available on the Pharmacy Magazine website and all your usual download sites. Just search for Talking Pharmacy. Uh, look out for our In Conversation with podcast with Janice Perkins talking about patient safety. But for now, from all of us, thanks very much for listening.